I don't want to go to work. I just want to fall asleep or eat biscuits, baby. Cause I don't want to do a thing. You're listening to the Piercing Wizard Podcast, and I'm your host, Ryan Willett. I'm a professional body piercer with 20 years experience. I travel around the world teaching technique and safety classes, and I'm a member of the Association of Professional Piercers. Listen in as I talk to my friends and colleagues about our industry so we can all stay sharp. Uh, welcome back to the super cool, badass Piercing Wizard podcast, now featuring Lola with her Squirtle Squad sunglasses. Um, hello. Hello. Hi. Natural opening. Man, that was a great class that you did on the 11th of July about draping. It was brilliant. Yeah, wasn't it weird, though, when that pack of wild dogs just, like, ravaged me and bit my arm off? I don't get it. Because it's past tense, and I don't know. We could, Never mind. We're recording this before I did the draping class. Anyway, way to ruin the illusion. Uh, right. That was all me. Yeah. Well, all right. Fail. Um, so before we get into uh, part, I guess that this would technically be part five of Ask Us Anything, because we did three episodes before we just recorded um, the fourth one. So this is Ask Us Anything part five of Piercing Wizard podcast with Ryan and Lola. Uh, do you want to reintroduce yourself, Lola? Yes, my name is Lola. Okay. Uh, so to touch on it quickly so I don't have to bother people with it later, Patreon, I have a bunch of stuff available. If all went well and I wasn't ravaged by wild dogs, I would have recorded a class about draping. And typically it takes me, I don't know, a week or maybe a little bit less to um, edit, produce the the on-demand version. So um, I would assume on patreon.com slash RyanPBA, you can not only get the tapers presentation, the hour and a half long tapers presentation from June, but you can also get the... I don't know, let's say 75 hour long presentation about draping from July. Uh, Dr. Drape himself. Dr. Drape, yeah, Dr. Drape. So you can check all that stuff out at patreon.com slash RyanPBA on the $15 a month Archmage tier. And uh, just to remind people, I'll be doing uh, my full day Bevel Theory webinar and workshop on Sunday, August 8th. And registration is open now. You can go to either precisionbodyarts.com slash seminars, or you can go to Body Art Education by Ryan Willett on Facebook for all that registration information. And if you are an active subscriber to my Patreon on any tier, I will give you your, uh, your July uh, subscription as a discount if you register for that class. So if you're on the $15 a month tier for all that on-demand video content, I'll give you a $15 um, discount on the registration. Registration is $100 for a full day of Bevel Theory education. I've got my understanding and applying, that's the the Ryan thing, understanding and applying Bevel Theory plus the workshop, um, plus probably some bonus content. And um, Lola will be there and she's gonna do some Dr. Dre karaoke. So yeah, anyway, I'm done with plugs for this episode. Thank you for being patient. So, hi, what do you wanna talk about? 
Um, I don't know, Ryan, because you have access to all of the questions and I am merely here. You're so cool though. You're part of the Squirtle Squad. I'm part of the Squirtle Squad. I like your glasses. All right. So uh, this next question, uh, somebody wants us to talk about self-promotion and how we're kind of uh, promoting ourselves. So I'm going to give up on these sunglasses while we, while we continue chatting, but I just want to say that your sunglasses look really cool. Thank you. So for promotion, um, it's changed a lot for me before the pandemic. It was like, I want to post pictures of piercings that I'm doing all the time and all these different things. But uh, now I'm not really trying to stay as active on social media because I some, sometimes, most of the time, most weeks, I have more demand than I can uh, really accommodate. So almost every day is going to be fully booked, open to close with the exception of like, sometimes we have a cancellation last minute that doesn't get filled or whatever, but most days are fully booked. So we're kind of switching up our promotion to just showing people the different jewelry we have because we have new stuff coming in all the time. Uh, we want to show people what's available. So if they're, if they've already got an appointment or if they're looking to schedule an appointment, that's basically what we're, what we're trying to promote now. Hey, we've got all this jewelry, take a look at this cool thing, but we're also using those posts to just re-educate people. Hey, everything's still by appointment only. You can go to this website, you can browse availability, grab anything that might work for your schedule, but that's most of our promotion now. Um, so what, what's your promotion been like? Cause I know that you have a really high demand too. Um, well, my promotion has mostly always been um, dominantly online. So um, I try and, and focus mainly on what it is that my clients are seeing, um, particularly on Instagram and on Facebook as well and on my website. Um, I definitely put a lot of work into my website over the, the last lockdown in particular um, to try and really beef up my FAQ as much as possible and kind of extend it beyond just, you know, what do you need to know about turning up for an appointment to a lot more useful and practical information for clients about, you know, caring for their piercing and preparing for their piercing. But in terms of the content that I'm putting out, um, because I am fortunate enough to be busy right now, I try and focus less on getting people through the door and focus more on retaining people um, so that they don't mind the fact they have to wait a little while longer for their appointment. Um, and I think that the way that you, you kind of market yourself towards your clients varies a little bit depending on are you trying to get people through the door or are you trying to keep people engaged until they can get through the door because they're a little bit different. Um, so I try and regularly you know, make posts that I hope will get people who are booked in excited about coming in for their appointment, you know, and that minimizes cancellations, it minimizes no shows further, um, because, you know, people are looking forward to that experience. I want people to be excited about coming in. So I don't just want to go hard at saying, oh, you need to book in, you should definitely book in. Um, and, and it's more like, are you booked in? Well, here are some things that you can look forward to um, and try and engage more with my customers in that way um, and I've also uh, you know through having been through several lockdowns and everything I've also taken the opportunity to try and post a bit more um, information about piercing that's maybe a little bit outside the box from some of the posts that I used to make um, just about different aspects of piercing healing life off the top of my head uh, one of the ones that I made more recently was healing piercings whilst living with depression, which people seem to really appreciate because obviously it 
that's an incredibly like widespread issue that's not very openly talked about, which is weird because it's something that affects so many piercing clients. Um, so I've been trying to, you know, do what I can to put little bits of useful information out there um, so that people can, yeah, little bits, um, so that people can um, stay engaged with the work that I'm doing and, it, and they're seeing a little bit more personality and, um, you know, they can build up a familiarity with the studio, which is important to me because they can't just walk in off the street anymore, you know, because of the, the pandemic and everything. So I, I think that we have a responsibility to try and like reach out more than we have before to, you know, like spread the joy of what it is that you're doing when you don't have the option to actually tell people to just oh, come in, just drop by, you have to find a way of taking your particular brand of, of you and piercing and like showing it to people. Wow. You make me feel like I'm a, I'm a jaded, lazy piercer, which I am. Um, I, I really appreciate you're, I really appreciate the way that you promote your studio because you're you're constantly making these like infographics and they're always just so like warm and friendly, but also educational and diverse and supportive. And um, I think it's fantastic the way that you do it. Uh, and I'm not because I don't know. I feel like I, I have a pretty well-established studio. Our, our reputation is pretty well-established. Um, a lot of my my issue is that my Instagram is like, you know, obviously the professional things that I do, but it's it's so fragmented. I've got like, hey, we're doing piercings and jewelry for you clients out there if you're interested. And then it's always like, hey, I've also got Patreon and educational and podcast stuff for you piercers that I know. And then, hey, I'm going to post a, a Spotify playlist and some like, you know, cheerful nihilism meme or, or something like that, you know, in my story. So your your social media is a lot more refined and a lot more disciplined than mine is and um i think i think that it has to be because your studio's 20 years old i mean well you're the one you're in right now the location is at 20 years old but you've been an established piercer in a studio that you you know precision body arts has been established for like two decades and my studio haven't even been i mean it's it's about a year over a year old but it's been operational for less than a year what with the pandemic and everything so it's really like on me to like put myself out there and tell people what the studio is about and what piercing is about in the studio in in the the easiest way that I can whilst um using the least amount of words so that it's not lost you know like when when it translates digitally um, so I think that I have to do that. I have to be better at that because I'm not established in the way that you're established. So I have to, if, if it seems like it's better, it's because I have to work at it. Yeah. Well, it, it's an, it's an inspiration to, to me because it, it makes me want to do a little bit of a better job. I also really appreciate the fact that a lot of your um, video posts, like IGTV type posts, like you're putting uh, captions on it and you're trying to be more inclusive of people um, where English might not be their first language or they might have hearing difficulties and things like that. So I think that that's, that's a great thing for you to do too. I think that your promotion shows uh, how much you care about people. And um, now I'm starting to realize that a lot of the promotion that I put out there doesn't have those same things. Please don't think that I don't care about you if you're a client. I do care about you very much. I'm just very tired. 
Well, um, I, I think the thing that, that kind of changed it for me, and again, my, my, my feed is still not perfect. Like I'm trying, I'm, I'm like taking those first steps to try and be more inclusive and more switched on to that kind of stuff. So like, don't think that what, what I'm doing is it, like what I'm doing is like barely there. But what, what changed it for me to make me want to try harder was um, I saw, I can't, I, this is just from memory. So unfortunately I can't remember this person's name, but I saw a video shared that had been shared by um, a person who was deaf and they were saying something along the lines of, you know, content creators say, well, I don't need to consider deaf people because I don't have deaf followers. And she was saying, no, you don't have deaf followers because you don't consider deaf people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, well, maybe you you would have more engagement with that community if you actually made an effort so that they could engage with your content in, in any way. Sure. So like, I'm trying to do that and um, and, hopefully I can get better at it. And I'm, I'm very grateful for um, customers and, and people that interact with the stuff that I put out there and tell me how that, you know, I could have made it easier to read or easier to understand or easier to translate. And I'm trying to do those things and it's not perfect, but um, I think that ultimately you can only benefit from doing that, from expanding your, your client base in that way. Yeah. Well, j- just like in, Lots of different aspects related to social equality. Um, It's difficult to just wake up one day and be a perfect ally. You have to work at it. You have to be consciously aware that not everyone is you uh, and to do your best to be respectful and and inclusive. And I think you're doing a great job of that. Thank you. Uh, So the next one is something where I, I don't want it to turn into a slippery slope if at all possible, but I also do want to be able to speak on it honestly. It says, is APP certification, and I think a lot of us who, who have that nails on the chalkboard thing when they hear APP certified know that they mean APP membership. The APP does not certify piercers. Uh, you are a member or you are not a member. So is APP membership worth it as a business owner or is just following the guidelines enough? Um, I, I certainly want to hear whatever opinion you would like to give. For, for myself, I'll say... As me, as a business owner, yes, being a member of uh, the leading organization supporting health, safety, and education in body piercing, being a member of that organization is very important. Um, I'm not going to say that I'm making twice as much money because I am an APP member, uh, but I, I believe in the APP's mission statement enough that I need, want to, I find it a priority to, to support that organization because if you stop supporting these organizations, they're, they're not going to be able to grow and succeed. Um, so I do get more clients through the APP member locator. Um, people do come in and say, oh, you know, you're the only APP uh, member studio within uh, X amount of distance from my home. So that's that's why I'm here. I don't know anything about you or your studio. I just know that you're an APP member. So yes, I have gotten those people. Um, no, I have not gotten so many of those people that I don't have to still put in the work to get all of the other people. But it's not so much about what can the APP do for me. It's what can I do as part of the APP? What can I do to help strengthen this organization? Uh, because I believe in their message. And, and you uh, are a member of not only the APP, but of the, the UK APP. 
And we've, we've had lots of conversations about how it can be a little bit difficult when maybe your community doesn't want to be fully um, embracing and engaging and supportive of a young organization because they might see it as, well, what do I get out of it rather than what can I do to chip in and help? So what, what's, what's your opinion on that subject? Well, again, just to clarify, as we did in the last episode, these are questions that I don't have any advance notice of. So I'm going to try and articulate what it is that I'm thinking a little slower, because I think it's a really important question. And I also just want to clarify that I'm not speaking in the capacity of a UKPP representative. I'm just here as Lola, girlfriend of Ryan. Um, But speaking generally as a member of those associations, I think that you kind of hit on something when you're saying it's it's not how the organization serves you. And I think that that's kind of like uh, something that can get a little bit lost sometimes. It's, well, why should I do this? What has it ever done for me? And I, I can't be 100% sure because I actually wasn't there at the formation of the UKPP and certainly not the APP. Um, but it seems like the genesis of these organizations was really to help the public as much as it was to help other piercers. It's not just about piercers helping piercers, it was about piercers helping the public because there is so much diversity in levels of uh, minimum quality. Sometimes there is no minimum quality for you to be able to operate a studio legally in terms of health and safety and hygiene. There's often no regulation surrounding jewelry. Um, like There are parts of the world where an inspection isn't even mandatory of any kind. So it can it can genuinely be the case that having the APP do a video walkthrough, uh, doing a video walkthrough for the APP of your studio is the first time that other professionals may have actually been able to see it and give you feedback. If you if you're living in one of the locations where an inspection is not even required of you, you know, so. The whole point of these organizations or one of the points of them is so that the general public know that if they're going to one of these premises, they know that minimum level of safety is being met in all of those different respects. That's the that's kind of setting the standard. And a lot of people say, oh, well, so the minimum standard, like there should be, you know, higher that we should be aiming higher than a minimum standard and forgetting the context um, of these organizations existing to interface with the public so that they can access a consistent level of care um so i i think that it's it's important to um to take part in any way that you can in your local communities just because you know if you're not taking part other people are taking part and, and i think that it's important for any piercer to feel like they're having their voices heard if there are issues that they're that they're concerned about or worried about but primarily, um, this is about making sure that there's consistency in the level of care that clients can, ex- can, can receive. And I think some people take that concept and run with it so far. Um, it can sometimes become further than what's ever possible to, to enforce when it comes to things like piercing skill. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, can't, um, you can't certify piercer skill. You know, those things are a lot more abstract and opinion-based. I mean, obviously we can see when something's horrendous, but but there is scope for interpretation um, and skill when it comes to piercing. So um, yeah, I, I think that a lot of people forget that uh, organizations like that are just as much about as 
uplifting the public's experience and educating the public and interacting with them probably more than it is about you know what can we do for piercers how can we help promote piercers businesses like I mean you're you're older than me you know like you you don't mind me pointing out thanks you're, for reminding me you're older than me right? and you've you've been involved in the APP for a lot longer than me what did it use was it started as a way for piercers to get more business for themselves or was it started as a or was it both or was it just started well, as a way to create a baseline of, of health and safety i mean let's have some context here i am not old enough that i was in those meetings because that was probably about 10 years before i was even a, a piercer but um i will say that my understanding of all the hard work put in by michaela gray and Jim Ward and uh, all, all of that, like the, the, the zenith of what the APP was. I'm sure that a little bit of it was marketing to show that like, hey, we're, we're these elite, really good piercers. But a, a huge part of that was also we're conscientious piercers. And even outside of our studio and our personal financial gain, we want to increase health and safety and education for the entire piercing community. So if you're, if you're only looking to join one of these organizations to make money off of it, if you're thinking like, this is an investment strategy for you, this is a marketing strategy, then membership probably isn't going to be what you want. You're probably not gonna get what you want out of it. If you wanna join one of these organizations, and, and this might not translate to people who aren't wrestling fans, but if you want to join an organization because you're like the MJF of body piercers and your mentality is I'm better than you and you know it, you're probably not going to get a lot out of these organizations. If you love body piercing and if you have this internal drive of, I know that I can always be a little bit better. I know that the piercer who I'm going to be a year from now will hopefully be better, smarter, wiser, more compassionate than the piercer I was a year ago. But if you're the kind of body piercer who loves body piercing and you wanna to contribute to all of body piercing being better, you should be a member of the APP, of the UK APP, of whatever local piercing organization you can. APP Benelux, Russian APP, uh, VPP in Germany, like wherever you are in the world, you know, get involved with GEP if you're in Brazil, get involved with LBP if you're in the Latin piercer community. Um, like if you care about piercing, you should be wanting to make piercing better for everyone. And that's what these organizations are about. It's not about showing off and being like, I'm better than all of you who aren't members. If that's your mentality, maybe just don't bother joining, honestly, because it's not really going to be what you want out of it. As a studio owner, if I wasn't a piercer, maybe I wouldn't value being a member. Uh, so it's difficult for me to answer that question from someone else's perspective. But from my perspective, I would not want to go a day as a body piercer without being an APP member because I care about it. And I know what the APP does for the overall community. So yes, I see it as completely worth it. Um, you know, whether it's a financial investment or time or just love and passion, you know, uh, yes, I, I, I am an APP member and hopefully always will be. Sometimes people need to just slow down for a second and think, what do I want from this organization? What can it offer me? What am I offering it? And what together are we offering to the community and, and to the general public? And if it's not for you, 
then that's completely fine. I know a lot of excellent piercers that aren't affiliated with any organizations like that, but that doesn't mean they can't still meet the standards. And mm -hmm. using a dislike for an organization to not meet the standards is just a bullshit excuse to be unsafe, you know, and everybody knows that. Um, so I just hope that if you, you know, hate the organization or organizations, you don't ever use it as an excuse to not follow the rules um, that they set forward or the advice that they set forward in terms of hygiene. And, you know, you can just not tell anyone about it, but still definitely do the work, even if you even if you just keep it to yourself. Right. And also, if there are piercers out there who do meet the guidelines and know what the guidelines are and put in work to meet the guidelines and you still refuse to join or organizations like the, a the APP and the UK APP, then just like, come on, come on. <laughs> I don't get it. Whatever. You're great. I'm sure you're great. I'm sure you're awesome. But yeah. at, least they're, at least they've met the standards. Um, you know, like, I, I, I think that taking part, it, it's hard to describe, but there are ways of taking part without taking part. Maybe your way of making a statement is by not joining, you know, for whatever reason. So, Edgy. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say that somebody choosing not to take part is, is always a cop out because I don't think that that's necessarily true. But I think that making statements about, you know, standards being too high and, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do this and that because I'm not going to apply. It's like what you're not going to make things as safe for your clients as possible out of spite for an organization. That seems like madness. You know, what's even more frustrating is the people who meet or exceed an organization's minimum standards. And they're like, I'm not going to join because your standards aren't high enough. It's like, what? Join the organization and take part and like raise that organization's standards if you have that much of a problem with it. Like, Anyway, we could talk about it for an hour. Let's not do that. All right, you ready to pivot into a completely different subject? Sure. Okay. What is a superior movie, Armageddon or Deep Impact? You asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Armageddon. Okay, fine. I say Deep Impact, but whatever. Okay, um, could you just sing the theme song, the theme song to Deep Impact for me? <laughs> What's the theme song to Deep Impact again? All right, just because they didn't have an Aerosmith hit doesn't mean it's not a good movie. Moving on, next question. Clients not understanding pricing. And I, I get that, and I get that it can be a big frustration. Most typically, I'll hear those frustrations from piercers who are transitioning between significantly different jewelry lines. The piercers that are going from mystery metal to things like, you know, certifiable materials, um, you know, APP approved titanium, that kind of stuff. Uh, the people who are going from external to internal, the people who are just getting into gold. A lot of those frustrations come up because you might see all these other piercers, all your colleagues, all your peers using these things. You might bring them into your studio and then have some challenges moving it. You might feel some resistance from clients. So, uh, I would imagine you felt those growing pains over the over the transitions in your career. I certainly felt those growing pains during transitions in my career. What are some of the lessons you learned uh, about how to help clients properly understand about why you're ch you're charging what you're charging? I mean, that's a really difficult question to just like answer in a nutshell, isn't it? Because that's part of like a, a journey on over over years. Um, like 
when I transitioned from, you know, not great jewelry to better jewelry, it was like a public campaign of information that lasted six to 12 months, you know, working with every single client. So there's not like a magical phrase that you can use. I think the best way um, to give yourself a helping hand in that respect is to try and um, let your environment become cohesive with the pricing that you're using um, because people are very intuitive when people when I walk into a shop you know like you can tell from if you walk into one shop to another shop if it's within your price range or if it's not for almost every shop you could walk into on the street even things like you know salons where you get your hair done you can tell from looking through the window what kind of place that is and you don't need to see any pricing to know it you can just look through and know it. And it's not down to one specific thing. It's everything about the way that the business is presented to you, right down to the colors and the fonts and the furniture and, and all of that stuff. And the, you know, what people are wearing and how people speak to you, all of that stuff um, comes together to form a representation of the business that totally gives you an idea of whether it's, it's going to be a more expensive place or a less expensive place. Um, and that's not exclusive to piercing. That's just basically like, I'm, I'm not sure what the, there's definitely a term for that. Um, like the, the psychology of, of shopping, you know, I can't remember what it is right now, but there, there is I a think lot just calling it retail psychology is sufficient. Retail, retail, I, retail I don't know psychology. what the term would be, but I know the vibe you're talking about. Right. So, um, it's not very satisfying to, to not be able to like just give an answer to that question, but because it mm -hmm. is going to be an ongoing campaign of information you have with your clients, but you can really help yourself so that you're not having to just talk yourself into the ground every day by creating an environment that lets people know that what they're experiencing is quality and it's different from what somewhere else is selling. You, you need to make them understand that what you're selling is different from what the other place is selling without them even having to ask about pricing. They, they need to have that seed planted in their mind. Um, and that's something mm -hmm. that I've tried really hard to, to do. Before I had my own studio, obviously I worked within a studio. Um, and the challenge there that a lot of piercers face is you're not fully in control of the environment. You have like a little bit of space in that environment, but maybe you're not in charge of lighting and music and opening hours and, and all this kind of stuff. You're, you know, obviously operating within another premises. Um, so you have to do what you can to, you know, make those, those little tweaks in your area as best as you can, but it's really, really challenging. It's really challenging. Um, yeah. It's hard work. Um, again, this is another subject that we could talk about for hours. So I'll just kind of hit on some of the highlights that, that resonated with me from what you were saying. Um, you do need to have the appearance that you're worth whatever you're charging. So for me, I was very fortunate in my career to have moments where I could physically move my studio from one location to another. Uh, and kind of reinvent what we were as a studio. Not all studios will have that opportunity, will have those, those privileges, financial or otherwise. Um, sometimes I, I do hear of studios, you know, taking an opportunity like, like a pandemic or, or seasonal things or whatever to close down for a few weeks, you know, fresh coat of paint, literally and figuratively. Um, I, I don't really want to single 
someone out, but I, I do want to give some props to um, Alex, Alex Wilkins at, at Guru uh, down in Brighton, where I, I, I saw their studio in, in one iteration, very bright colors, like to try to draw in people from a, a, a heavy tourist traffic area. And then through all the hard work uh, done by the, the staff of that studio to bring in new jewelry and, and to, to kind of reframe themselves as like, you know, we're, we're turning into more of a boutique piercing environment, not really like a, you know, a, a tourist high turnover kind of thing. They literally fresh coat of paint. They softened the colors. They made it calmer. And like, you can really tell that they were going for a different presentation because now they were offering a different product and service. Sometimes you have to do that in your studio. Um, try to think, try to have the conscious thought that if you're going from mystery metal, external thread, um, not a lot of thought put into your jewelry or where it's coming from, and you're stepping up into those other things, you might not get the same kind of response. If, you're, if your music is very aggressive, metal music, loud music, um, if your visual presentation is very loud and aggressive, you know, dark colors, uh, a lot of stickers on everything and, you know, having it look more like someone's living room rather than like a, a, a retail space with high-end products and services. So think about your presentation. And just like Lola said, when you have the presentation put together, um, it's going to, to instill more confidence in the clientele. Clients will come in and they'll look at something. And if it's, you know, however much money is you charge, 50, 100, 200, whatever for your, your product and your service, they'll, they'll tend to have a greater confidence. If you're dressed nice, if the music is welcoming, the colors are welcoming, the aromas, you know, everything smells clean and fresh and they're greeted with people who have a smile and are, are, are speaking more professionally. And it's not just like, kind of like a, I don't know. I don't even, I don't want to be dismissive and, and say the wrong thing, but the clients understanding the prices, a lot of it goes uh, hand in hand with the presentation of how you deliver those prices, how you deliver your products and deliver your services. You need the clients to be confident in whatever those prices are. So sometimes it's just one part of a multifaceted thing, a strategy, yeah. retail psychology. Um, and if you're unsure how to achieve those things, a lot of it is just uh, planning and, and time and, and care. So research it, research retail, retail psychology, color schemes, music, aromatherapy, merchandising, whatever you're, whatever you feel like you're missing, research it, run it down, tweak it and try it until you find the thing that works for you. And then once you find it, it'll be a lot easier to approach clients with, Hey, yes, this is a little bit more than we used to charge. Maybe this is a little bit more than some of the other people in the area, but we think it's worth it. And we want to show you what we can offer you. Yeah. And, you know, just to go back to what I was saying about, you know, working within someone else's space. Um, I, I was in that position for the majority of my career with incredibly limited finances, incredibly limited resources. And there are so many things that you can do that don't involve, um, you know, huge financial commitment and, you know, like completely redecorating and that kind of thing. Um, I used to spend quite a lot of time like redressing the displays um, just in a, in a really inexpensive way um, because 
I, I became really aware early on that it's much harder to convince people they're buying a different thing if everything looks identical. If, you know, literally if all your jewelry is laid out the same way that it was before, it makes people think, well, nothing here has changed. So why has just the price changed? Um, so, you know, rearranging your displays, not just to accommodate new jewelry, but just to get people engaging with their eyes a little bit more, especially if they're a regular customer that's been in several times. Um, and we all go through a phase when we start piercing as well, where we want to decorate our space, um, you know, and you put stickers on everything and maybe you've got little figurines and pictures that you like. And after a while, you do start to realize like this room is done up full of stuff that I love. My my customers don't really aren't really I mean, I don't want to say that you can't express yourself in your workspace because you absolutely should. And that can actually be the reason that people keep coming back to you. But the walls in your studio, it, even if it's just in the room that you work in, and I only had like that little space to work in, um, at a point I was like, I'm, I'm really missing an opportunity here. And I started taking nice photos of jewelry um, and having them blown up and framed. And um, I took, you know, just my, my other pictures and things that I liked um, home. Cause I was like, I'm literally just wasting an opportunity here. Nobody is gonna buy more jewelry because they see that I have a carry on screaming poster they're going to know that I enjoy Jim Dale and, you know, carry on screaming, which is nice, but, you know, I could also just tell them that. So like having that, having that wall space there to showcase really nice jewelry, if you're only selling, and at this point I was, if you're only selling like five nice pieces of jewelry a year um, and the rest of the time, it's just plain titanium, you'd be daft not to take every opportunity that you could to show it off because people won't buy it if they can't see it. So, you know, mm -hmm. try and decorate your space as well as you can with the stuff that you want to be selling and make sure that you're wearing the stuff that you want to be selling too. Although, although not exactly the same stuff, because obviously that would be gross. Right. Uh, side note, um, extremely earlier in my, in my career, I think it was 1998 or 1999, uh, I tried working at a studio and they were like, you know, a massage studio. And they had one little like walk-in closet for body piercing. And they had a little wall display of jewelry and a little portfolio book right underneath it. You could flip through. And it was like the same two or three piercings, but with a bunch of different jewelry. It looked like it was on the same person. And they just did a bunch of jewelry changes to show different jewelry. And then I would look up at the case and be like, oh, that's interesting. What'd you buy a double so that you can have one in the case and then one in the portfolio so people can see what it looks like. And they're like, oh, no, 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 no. We just, you know, a staff member tried it on and then we just, we, we, sterilized it and put it back in the case so people can buy it if they want. And I was like, okay, great. Um, I quit. Goodbye. I'm not going to work here. But anyway, uh, yeah, I have lots of personality and flair in my studio, but it's minimized and it's presented in a way where it still looks like a professional environment. You can go to a doctor or a dentist office and they can still have something in those professional workspaces that gives you a, a sense of their personality as people. Um, but when when the personality starts to outweigh the professionalism, um, then it's then it can look a little bit sloppy. It can look a little bit messy. And I know that from personal experience because that was me for a long time. My first studio for years, it was just like I want action figures and video game posters and all that stuff all over the place. And not to say I don't have that now, because like one of the things people bring up all the time is that I have a really nice map of Skyrim framed on the wall but it's in a nice frame and all that stuff. You know, it doesn't look like something that's just like push pinned to a wall or something. So um, 
the, the presentation is important for people to have confidence in the pricing. But other than that, you know, let's leave it for another day because that's, that's a, a deep rabbit hole we can go down. Yeah. Um, another one, which we can touch on lightly, or if you want, we can skip if you think it's just too heavy, is um, how do you decide uh, jewelry stock levels? Uh, I'm looking to change into high quality jewelry, uh, et cetera, et cetera. You know, this question is really about someone that wants to get into high quality jewelry. But I think if we talk about it more in terms of um, the tail end of the pandemic, hopefully the tail end of the pandemic, I've had to really step up a lot of my jewelry quality uh, quantities and how frequently I'm ordering because of demand. So now I'm trying to say like, all right, I have a decent sense of how much jewelry we're going through. I have a decent sense of the lead times for these manufacturers. So now it's like, okay, rather than putting in one big order once every two months or something, uh, now I'm trying to put in moderate orders every three to four weeks. Because if, if you know some of these companies have X amount of weeks production, I don't necessarily want to have to go two months between when jewelry or jewelry inventory is getting refreshed. I want jewelry to be coming in constantly. I want it to be trickling in or sometimes pouring in uh, because I know the, the demand. So as someone who's kind of just reopening, just getting back to it, what are you doing to, to manage your inventory? Uh, I'm, I'm a really bad person to ask because that's not an area that I excel in and operating a new business and a new business that's been in and out of lockdowns several times. It's made getting any kind of consistency or knowing what's going to be normal for me completely out of reach. I, I haven't been able to have my shop open for more than a three month period um, right. since, since it's, since it's inception basically. So um without something happening that's forced it to close. So like, or at least I don't think it's been more than three months, maybe maybe three months, maybe three and a half, and then something's happened and it's closed again, you know? So like, yeah. um, I've never got to that point where I can say, this is what my projection is for the next, you know, three or four months, because it's like, I, ha I haven't been given the opportunity to get that baseline. So there's kind of a huge challenge there because if I make an order, like for example, I just made an order there um, for a substantial amount of money, that order is going to be coming up in about two months, the money that will then be due on that order. But if at that point, you know, again, fingers crossed, there won't be, there's another lockdown, I'll then be in a situation where I haven't been able to earn the money to pay for the jewelry and I'll have jewelry that I can't use because my shop will be closed. Mm -hmm. So it's like, when it comes to, to timing what you order, it's really scary because you're thinking, I have this money here to order stock. Do I order the stock or do I keep it and use it to pay rent in the event that my business gets closed down again? And it is a complete gamble. You, it's like that, that's all that it is, you know, because nobody knows. So pandemic life, particularly as a new business owner without those extra resources and reserves um, and being in and out of lockdowns, you are literally in a position where you have to choose every time you order jewelry, how long do I think, you know, how, how much jewelry do I think I'm going to need? What are the odds of me being closed down again? And, and having to make that decision every time you make a big order is really scary. You know, I'm in a position now where in a, if, in a, if in a couple of months time, we are put in a situation where there's another lockdown. And in my location, let's face it, there have been three, so it's not too far fetched. I'm going to have, you know, stock which is fantastic uh no money and no ability to earn money 
And then if I sell that stock online through things like web shops and that sort of thing, that'll keep me going, which is great. But then when I reopen, I'll then have no stock. So it's it, it's this constant snowball of problems. And I know that, again, I'm like the master of not giving helpful answers because all I'm doing is agreeing that it's shit. But I think that it's important to like just acknowledge those problems that we're all going through right now. Um, yeah. And I guess if you aren't going through those problems, then the, the easy answer to that question is, if the longest turnaround time you're looking at is three months, then you need to just map out in your head how many piercings you do on average every three months. Um, see if you can get a decent cross section of what your most common piercings are and order three months worth of stock. Um, you know, like that, that would be the easy answer if you were just in a situation where you knew what you were going to be doing and you knew that you were going to be open. Um, I am not in that situation, so I don't know what that's like, um, but it sounds well. well. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your perspective with me, baby. Sometimes I, I lose track uh, of it, and I know that it can probably come across as insensitive if someone else is not in a position where they've been open for, you know, I've been reopened for... Uh, nine months at least 10 months or something like that so it's like a lot of those uh first couple of weeks issues i've i've had the opportunity and the time to to start to hammer out to start to level off and to start to see start to have enough time where i can actually put together trends and analytics and data and, and all that stuff so i i i am aware and thank you for reminding me that not everyone is in that same position so boop, boop, i'll be quiet but um yeah, just if you are in a position where you can uh, predict your jewelry, you can order it in, in one big chunk. I find it to be ordered, you know, make frequent smaller chunk orders. That's a little bit easier to pay for, a little bit more consistent jewelry coming in. Um, and maybe even gives you a little bit of flexibility to, to try out some stuff that you might not be willing to try out uh, if it feels like a gamble. Like if you're in a position where big jewelry orders feel like a gamble, and I, I don't necessarily feel that way. Maybe I'll, I'll be a little bit more open to like, hey, let me try something with chrysoprase. Is that that stone? Like that neither of us can ever remember how to pronounce? Chrysophase? We, we should try and mispronounce it as much as possible. So like, trisoprase. Chrysoprase? Chrysoprase? Google's chrysoprase? not even going to help me with it. Uh, yeah, well that Christopher Walken phase. Um, I got some, yeah. some, some pieces with that and they moved really well. But like if I had to uh, make fewer orders, like fewer bulk orders, I probably wouldn't have taken that chance, but I'm glad I did. Anyway, let's move off of that. We're going to start to wind it down. This is getting towards the end and I've got some like lighthearted questions. Um, okay. This person wants us to talk about the role and use of music in the piercing room, what works for clients and, and what works for you. I would also just like to sidestep and say that I very much appreciate the fact that we send each other cute Spotify playlists from time yeah. to time. Like you sent me the ABBA Cadabra playlist that I listen to at work and I've sent you boatloads of good and bad and mixed uh, playlists. And I, I really enjoy that. Um, what, what do you like listening to when you work? Um, well, one thing that I've realized is that uh, customers are, are one in, one out, so they don't notice if something repeats. And there are some days that I just want to listen to the same thing over and over again. 
And there are other days mm-hmm. where that drives me crazy. It makes me feel like I'm stuck on a loop. Um, my uh, my Wi-Fi is usually a bit dodgy in the mornings. It keeps trying to connect to my printer. And it's like, of course, you can't make music because you're a printer. And it, you know, it gets very stressful. So I often default to just putting on this power ballads playlist that my laptop always seems to re- like recognize. And I don't know if mm-hmm. my laptop just likes power ballads, but it's like everything else. It's like, oh, no, I, I can't connect right now. And then I put on Tina Turner and it's like, I can connect. So I'm starting to think that it's it's just my laptop that just is really into those tunes. Um, but, you know, like I, I listen to a lot of um, mixed playlists Um and, uh, you know, I, I like when Spotify does that thing and it's like, hey, here are some sounds from this year. And it's just a mixture of stuff. Um, I like not knowing what's what's about to come on. You know, even if I'm listening to the same playlist, I'll keep it on shuffle because I hate that thing where a song's on and you know what song's about to come on. Um, like that that can start to get a little bit annoying to me sometimes. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty easygoing with music. I, I hate that we always that we always like um take it out on metal metal gets such a hard time whenever we're talking about music it's like oh as long as it's not metal but I mean I I don't I don't listen to to metal but um I try and listen to music that my customers will enjoy listening to and so far that's Duran Duran okay based on Uh, what people sing along to I lately I've been really enjoying if like I'm a Spotify person. I don't have an iPhone. I don't like Apple products. So I'm a Spotify person primarily. So if anybody else out there is on Spotify, like just search any of these terms, synthwave, retrowave, outrun, like all of that kind of stuff. The stuff that sounds like it could have been video game music from like 1989. Like I love all that stuff for work. Wallpaper music is a, is a term that I like, you know, maybe not fully instrumental, but not necessarily all about the the vocals, just something that can be on in the background that can kind of keep my energy up, get me like wiggling my hips when I'm doing stuff. Um, and I, I just like it. I like the artist radio feature where it's like, okay, I want to listen to X, but I don't, I don't just want to listen to that. So you put, you know, like I listen to like brother tiger radio so that it's not just that it's like, similar artists and songs that that band would like and that kind of thing and then that kind of takes you down a rabbit hole of like a song will come on and you'd be like oh what's this and you'll like run back and try and click the we love heart on it so that it remembers it in your in your light songs and everything so I really like doing the artist radio feature um that tends to work really good for me like if I'm in a particular mood like you know like yesterday when I was like today I want to listen to like kind of depressing cowboy music but you know like Mm -hmm. A variety of that then i can i can put on you know steve earl radio um if you're if you're a person who's more connected to uh pop music might be the wrong term but like you know modern music whatever is going to be popular for clientele like my clientele uh primarily uh like younger people but like i'm not connected to what's popular music for younger people so i'm not the right person for that but um, if you are connected to that and that helps with your clientele, fantastic. For me, like I, I am pretty firm that I don't want music with swears. So like Spotify has a great feature where you can toggle um, explicit content on and off. So the the shop uh, music has all, all the explicit content turned off because it's really awkward when you're piercing a teenager and the mom is in the room and then you're hearing like, you know, 
I don't know, ass and titties come on. So it can be a little bit, uh, it can be a little bit tough there, but I just like music that makes me feel good. Um, if, if I, like, I am a big metal fan. I listen to a lot of like, you know, folk metal and Viking metal bullshit. So, uh, I can listen to that stuff at home or in my car. I don't need to listen to that while I'm at work. I like enough musical variety where I can listen to things that are going to be more calming for clientele while I'm at work. And that's usually my, uh, my comfort zone and, and my go-to. This other one is kind of like a part B to this question. It's just a uh, psychology. How do you calm down and how do you play with people to make the session light enough so they end up with a fun experience? And for me, a lot of that, I set the tone with my music first off. Like it's not going to be like rah, rah kind of music. Um, but other than that, like I'm not, I'm not great at being like the stand-up comedian piercer. So I try to just have it be like, calm and centered, answer questions, get them engaged with, with me rather than me engaged with them kind of a thing. Um, that's usually what I try to do, but do you have any sort of like little tricks to, to keep the experience fun and light for people? Yeah. Um, I mean, they're not things that I think about. I think there are just things that are part of my personality that lend themselves quite well to what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I like to explain everything that I'm doing as I'm doing it. And, um, by that I mean like if I'm gonna touch a client I'm gonna tell them okay I'm gonna I'm gonna touch your you know ear and clean your skin and do this and I'm gonna do that and I'll tell them what I'm using and why I'm using it and uh, I'll try and constantly keep them engaged in the process that way so they know what's happening to them because I think the scariest thing is when you you touch a client just to look at their ear or clean them and they like jump like you're about to do it and that's the, the thing that I always want to like get rid of as soon as possible is that energy where people are like <gasps> like I'm about to pierce them and I'm like I'm not going to pierce you without telling you like that's not going to happen all we're doing right now is I'm just going to have a look we're going to clean jewelry is still in the stand it's not even anywhere near me we're not even anywhere near that point yet and then they're usually like oh okay like all we're doing is just cleaning and marking and talking right now and I'll take them through the entire procedure like that um and that's just part of client direction and just letting them know everything that's happening because I think a lot of it is them being like why are you doing that what's happening now and that causes yeah. them to get that way where they jump at everything that you do so especially when it comes to even even when I'm saying things like I'm going to need you to turn your head for me I'll always say I need you to look over there I'm not doing it so you can't see what I'm doing it's just so that I can see in your ear a bit better so the light's on it and then they're like oh that makes sense so they don't think that I'm trying to get them to look away so I can do something to them you know like it's, it's mm -hmm. little things like that where I, I don't like to wait for people to ask me questions I just tell them the answers anyway and if that yeah. fails I just tell them about my day and my life's pretty tragic so usually um that tends to lighten the mood a little bit like if some kind of ridiculous awful embarrassing thing has happened to me I'll just be like listen let me tell you about this thing that just happened to me um and I will completely just like um, humiliate myself if it helps make my client feel a little bit more relaxed. Like I was doing a septum piercing like just the other day and um, I, it was it was Sunday so I was just kind of wearing like leggings and um, a big t-shirt and then I realized I had like a big hole in my crotch and um, and I, you know when I do septum piercings I kind of sit on a stool and have my customer sitting in front of me but I'm lower than them so I can see underneath them and I'll scooch right up to them and I'm like okay, I'm just going to have to put my knees around your knees kind of thing. Is that okay? And they're like, yeah. And then I kind of looked down and realized, and I was like, listen, don't panic, but I've got a really big hole in my crotch. 
And like my customer just burst out laughing and I was just like, I have underwear on and everything. I just wanted to address the fact that there's a total hole in my crotch right now and you, you can probably see it. So like, I don't have any problem embarrassing myself in front of clients if it makes them feel better. But usually people respond quite well to just like knowing what it is that's going on. So I, I, I like telling people what's going on without being asked. That usually helps me quite a bit. I like to do that too. That's something where I, I, it's second nature. So I don't even necessarily think of that when I talk about what I'm doing, but yeah, as I'm setting up, I, I never want to have my back to the client. I don't want to make it seem like I'm trying to do sleight of hand and, and hide something from them. So I always stand so that they can see what I'm opening, what I'm doing. Anytime I'm going to do anything where I approach them, it's always, okay, I'm going to put a mark on you and have you check it in the mirror. I'm just, I'm just using this to, to mark. If I'm piercing a little kid, what I'll also do is I'll, I'll hold up my glove and I'll mark a little smiley face on my glove and I'll be like, I'm just going to put some little marks on you and have you check it out. Like little stuff like that. But then like, you know, when I'm cleaning the skin, it's always like, okay, I'm going to clean your skin now. It's going to feel a little cold or maybe a little slimy. Um, if I'm doing any sort of anatomy evaluation, especially for an intimate area, it's going to be, okay, you're going to feel my hands here. You're going to feel some pressure. If you feel anything uncomfortable, just let me know all that stuff. I want to talk to them. If I'm going to do something where it's like, uh, marking or a taper or jewelry or something, I always want to show them what I'm holding in my hand and be like, okay, like, especially with tapers for like jewelry installs, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll tap the end of it and I'll be like, okay, so this isn't sharp at all. It's just going to help me install the jewelry easier. You know, all those things make it a lot uh, more calming for the client because they don't have to guess what I'm doing. They know what I'm doing and so that they don't have to be scared of it. So those are all great things to mention. This could potentially be the last question. Uh, I will have one bonus question after that. And if you don't want to answer it, then we'll just wave it off and we'll go watch Armageddon. Uh, so this one is just, anxiety, how to deal with it. So I don't know if they mean anxiety on the part of the client, but let's just say it's anxiety on the part of the piercer, because like we've talked about bedside manner a lot and how we calm the client's anxieties. Um, I have what I might define as, and what my therapist might define as crippling anxiety uh, lately. And, um, you know, I know that some days, uh, you can have some some challenges in your life that can make you feel pretty anxious. And I know that we talk about it as people, not just as colleagues and, and peers, but as, as partners. And for me, sometimes I do have to give myself time in between all of those stacked back-to-back -back clients. You know, if it's stacked septum piercings or complicated whatever piercings, uh, sometimes I have to tell the front counter person, all right, you chat with them about release form and jewelry. I need five minutes for me to center myself. And that's not checking Facebook and checking Instagram or whatever. It's drink water. Sure. Drink water, go to the bathroom. Sure. Get a snack, whatever. But a lot of it is breathing exercises and just kind of like centering myself because sometimes my body gets so amped up, so full of adrenaline. I beat myself up if something doesn't come out perfect or if I, accidentally said the wrong thing to a client or forgot to mention something during an aftercare speech or all those things like stay with me for hours, for days, for weeks sometimes. And a lot of it is trying to manage my body's responses to anxiety inducing moments. And I have to breathe through it and just try to remind myself like you're a human being and you're going to get through this. And, and, you know, I don't want to, 
take my anxieties out on another person uh, in my personal or my professional life. So do you have anything that that's been helpful to you to, to deal with anxiety? You're helpful to me. Okay. Other than a loving partner sending you cheeseburgers or burritos or Spotify playlists. I mean, I don't really have an answer for that. Um, I, I, you know, I struggle a lot with anxiety problems at work and I've done a lot to try and, um, I guess the best bit of advice is I would be know that that stuff is coming. Like know yourself, know that they're getting, even if you're having a great morning, just know that that stuff can happen and try and leave breadcrumbs for yourself to, to, you know, lead yourself back to sanity in the event that that happens. Um, you know, like if, if you're having a, a good morning or a good day, unfortunately doesn't negate the fact that next week or tomorrow or later on in the day, you're going to have, you know, a panic attack or an anxiety attack if that's something that you deal with. And it's shit because, you know, a lot of the time we do, we talk about like, well, how can I fix this? How can I stop this from happening? And now I'm at the point where I don't try and think about how can I stop this from happening? I can think, well, it's, it's going to happen at some point, you know, because it just is, that's the nature of it. And that's what's shit about it. But like, what are some things that I can do um, to try and uh, set things up so that future Lola doesn't have to struggle so hard if she's having difficulties, you know? So mm-hmm. that's going to be different for every person. Um, but if there are things that provide you comfort, um, for example, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of like an example that will translate really well. Um, if there are things that you need access to, um, to help calm you down, like uh, something that you fidget with, make sure that that's at work with you. Or, you know, if there's something that you do um that allows you to de-stress, make sure you have access to that thing and try and set it up so that it's there. Like for example, maybe one day I just can't deal with doing yoga, but maybe tomorrow I'll be able to, and I'd like to be able to. So I'm gonna sweep my space and make sure that everything is set up so that when future Lola's ready to do it, it's there for me so that I'm not put off at that first hurdle of it not being ready. Um, Or like uh, if you're like me and your diet is kind of terrible, if you're having a really like good day, like prepare some food for yourself so that if in a few days time, you're like really in a bad place, you're like, well, I do actually have some healthy food to eat because I made it when I was having a good day, you know? And for some people that even that's going to be like pie in the sky, unrealistic. But I guess I would, I would just um, try and like resign myself to the fact that things are going to get bad again. So if you're doing good, try and just like, plant little breadcrumbs for a future you that's having an awful day. Um, even if it's hiding candy bars around the place um, so that, you know, you're like, Oh my God, thank you so much for hiding this whisper past Lola. You're the best, you know, like. A whisper bar is a chocolate bar available yeah. in Scotland for those who don't know. Especially if you live alone, especially if you work alone and you don't have somebody else there to give you that like little boost of energy, try and leave yourself, um, you know, like, cues to you know not not necessarily fix everything but help steer you on the path like towards being more calm calm yeah Yeah. well I think that's really good advice um I will give you this uh potpourri question and if you're not into it then we'll just wave it off um how do you see the industry developing over the next 10 years 
Not that any of us know what's happening since the world is nuts, but maybe uh, what you would have thought before COVID versus now. Do you want to talk about it or do you want to just wave it off? 10 years is a little bit too long for, for me to predict because sure. look at what was 10, look at what was 10 years ago. Yeah. Like particularly in the UK. Yeah. Um, like, I don't think that anybody could have imagined that we would be here specifically, not just because of the pandemic, but you know, like um, where, where piercings at now in the UK, I, I don't think that people could believe it would have uh, progressed at the rate that it has in the past 10 years. So 10 years, I can't say. Um, I, I think that mm, the, the only things I have to say are probably a bit negative. You know, like we're looking at things like, um, you know, when things become more mainstream and widespread and popular, ultimately what happens um, is people with um, more money and less skill tend to flood the marketplace en masse with chain stores and, um, you know, like something that looks similar to what you do, but is actually very different. Um, but because of things like expert, you know, retail marketing and psychology, can convince the general public of what it is. So I, I think that that's something we always have to be careful and, and be watching out for is, you know, to protect our industry and to try and keep it about individuals and about small businesses. And um, part of that is just supporting our local communities in whatever capacity we want to do that. Um, but I think we have to, you know, like, even it sounds cheesy, but even even if we, we don't love each other all the time, we there are certain points where we kind of have to hold hands together and, and protect the, the community from a certain element of like industrialization, would you call it? Um, uh, what's that word for? Oh. Industry appropriation, uh, I think. Industry appropriation. You, you touch on a great point that it is better suited to another longer subject uh, episode in the future. But if you think that a lot of these mall accessory stores or mall gold stores aren't like sniffing around the edges of the body piercing industry right now, you are sorely mistaken. Right. Uh, don't be shocked if um, gigantic nationwide chains that pierce with like plastic piercing guns, don't be surprised if by the end of this year, they're offering body piercings with a needle in your local mall. Like, don't be shocked at that because like the body piercing industry that we have today has put in so much work to um, improve standards, but to also market online. We've created such a demand for this stuff that all of those accessory stores now sell more body jewelry than they ever have. And now they're starting to think like, well, why do we need to lose clients to these tattoo and piercing shops to do the initial service and installation when we can just do it um, probably in like a very ill-equipped uh, location, but they're all, they're, they all smell blood in the water. They all smell money in the air and they're coming for you. So be <laughs> Be aware of it. Um, just like Lola said, we should all be like holding hands and making the professional body piercing industry stronger instead of more fragmented. Realize that there is uh, such a thing as an imperfect ally uh, and yeah. that sometimes we do need to make sure that we do we can still talk to each other. 
maybe if we don't 100% agree with everything that everyone is saying, we still need to be able to talk and we still need to realize that we're, we're, we are all on the same team, educate each other, help each other, share as much information as you can, because if we don't, we're going to get run over by big business and we're not going to be able to, it's going to be too late when we wake up. If we don't like, you know, come together as a community and like realize that this stuff is happening right now in the early stages, by the time we, we like, we realize it on mass, by the time that all these conferences are back and we can talk about it in a round table face-to-face -face, uh, setting, it's going to be too late. It's going to be way too late. So think about it now. Like we are one community of professional body piercers. Yeah, the um, the thing with multi-million dollar industries is they don't tend to just bow out. They will rebrand and remarket as many times as it takes. And the marketing aesthetic that we create as a community um, can be incredibly creative and beautiful. And as much as it's unique to each individual studio, the overall aesthetic that we put out there and create as a community is so marketable and easy to rip off yep. to a company with enough money to mimic that look and people that aren't really involved um who are you know just consumers and looking to have work done it's going to get harder and harder for them to tell the difference and you know as much as i hate to point it out that is where it does come in handy to have organizations that can help represent you and the issues that you face um to to be there for clients to look at and say, well, what's the APP saying about this? Are these studios safe enough to register with the APP? A lot of the time, the answer is going to be no. Um, pretty much all the time, the answer is going to be no based on the studios that, that we're thinking of. If, if, you know, we could even call them that it's more kind of retail premises. Um, but yeah, long term, um, the continued success of the industry does perpetuate the continued risk towards the industry of um you know elements of the community that We're we've built and that being poached um so that's something to be uh always aware of um and like you say i would i mean there, maybe there's piercers that don't like me and maybe there's piercers that i don't like but I, I still want them to be earning a living and i still want them to be operating and we can bicker and squabble as much or as little as we want to, but ultimately I, I wish them professional success. And I wouldn't like to see anybody try and, you know, stunt my professional success because I don't think that that's who we really are as a community. Yeah. Well, uh, we covered a very wide array of subjects. And so I, I'd say thank you for giving me so much of your time on a day that was supposed to be a no work day for both of us. So yeah. I appreciate that. Um, I want to talk about what we're going to do for food and I want to send you some food and I want you to help me order food that will be sent to me. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to send you food anyway. Um, and just one last time, many uh, educational offerings available patreon.com slash Ryan PBA. The tapers class hour and a half long is available now. The draping class, which I just recorded. So if you sign up in July, you'll have access to the tapers class, the draping class, and over a dozen other classes that are all one hour or longer. Um, and also if you sign up in July, uh, you can get your subscription fee uh, removed from registration uh, if you'd like to attend my, my Bevel Theory full day. I'm going to be giving 
all of my active subscribers in July a discount in the amount of their subscription if they wanted to uh, sign up for my Bevel Theory class Sunday, August 8th. Body Art Education by Ryan Willette. For all the info there, you can email me, ryanpba at gmail.com if you have any questions about any of this stuff. And um, I would love to, to see you in some of these classes. Patreon.com slash ryanpba. Uh, well, thank you for making these podcasts uh, like consumable because nobody wants to hear me talk anymore. They want to hear Lola talk because you're the smart one. I can't believe people just listen to us bicker. I wouldn't say we bicker. No, but like, you know, I hope that people at least find some kind of use in it. Um, I mean, I think I they think, do. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, like, you know, I would like that. I would, that would, that would well, make me feel good. there are people out there who are probably like sick to death of one or both of us, but like realize that we, we only keep talking because we love body piercing and, um, like, sorry, like, you know, I, I, I know, again, that neither of us is perfect, although I think you're perfect. Um, but like, you know, we love body piercing, we respect body piercing and body piercers. And we just want to try to share health and safety and, and education and casual conversation, casual conversation. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anything like you want to tell people for like, internet bullshit? Oh, well, my name's Lola Slider and my Instagram is lola.slider and on there I post pictures of my face and I do yoga and occasionally share piercing related content. And um, my, my studio is called Forest Piercing um, and is on Instagram and there I post no pictures of my face and no pictures of yoga and only pictures of piercing. Um, so if that's if that's more what you're into, then that would be the page to follow for that. Um, but forest forest piercing and um, my my website is forestglasgow.com. Um, and I know that now because I kept accidentally saying it was forestpiercing.com, which is totally not my website. My website's forestglasgow.com. Um, and uh, if if you're interested, I do have a a pretty beefy FAQ on there that I'm always trying to add to. Um, so you can check that out. You're very smart and I like you a lot. Thank you. All right, let's stop talking and then we'll transition into Armageddon and delivery food. Armageddon out of here. <laughs> Why? Because you love me. <laughs> For more information about the show, visit piercingwizardpodcast.com or like Piercing Wizard Podcast on Facebook. For more info about your host, visit precisionbodyarts.com or search Ryan PBA on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. If you enjoy the show, you can subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. Music by Benny B. Blanco. Show copyright 2017, Precision Body Arts, LLC. All rights reserved. <laughs>